0: This podcast is sponsored by Regatta Outdoors. It's a glorious spring day and you're heading out on a walk. What do you bring with you? A paper map? Plenty of snacks? Well, of course, they're important. But any seasoned hiker will tell you that footwear is the first thing to consider. Whether you prefer relaxed rambles or challenging summits, comfortable and reliable shoes are essential. Regatta has waterproof and breathable footwear for the whole family for every outdoor occasion. Discover the range in stores nationwide and at regatta.com
1: just stooped to look at the ground on a footpath deep in a woodland in Gloucestershire to look at an eggshell it is perfect pale blue with spots probably a blackbird's shell and I'm exploring well I'm on the edge of this glorious ancient woodland and it's full of birds I've had all sorts of things this morning Bluebells, carpet floor. There are, well, you know, that chif-chaff, very persistent chifchaff. Lime trees, wild service trees, wooden enemies. Bugle, little spikes of blue flowers, which look a little bit like bluebells from a distance, but lovely. on the edge of the, of the wood here. And the stitchwort. It's a really fabulous time of year to garden, and see woodland wildflowers and hear the birds. But I'm not adventuring with birds and wildflowers today, I'm heading on to Cheeksbury in the River Severn to talk fish. Welcome to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine. My name is Fergus Collins, I'm the host of the podcast, and in this season 12, we're exploring wild landscapes and wild sounds of Britain, and I'm looking at... I'm hoping to find a slightly different angle on our wildlife. Going beneath the waters of the Severn to see what lurks beneath and what's migrating upstream, and to hear about some of the projects that are opening up this mighty river to the fish populations. I think a story of great hope. Before I go, I'm just going to linger a little longer in this woodland, watching the hawthorn come into leaf. i just going to immerse myself in a kind of precious hour or two of spring. Where, where are we?
2: So we're standing just on the edge of the Sevenham Water Meadows, um, which are a site of special scientific interest. They're really beautiful at this time of year. And it's our approach to the river and the weir where we take volunteers to look out for shad.
1: For shad coming up the stream. So we've just crossed a river. This is the Avon, and we're heading out across the meadows to, to the River Seven, and so we're right at the confluence of those two two big rivers.
2: That's right. It's one of the reasons that this area has so much flooding to contend with.
1: OK, yeah, yeah. I know mm. Tewkesbury has quite a relationship with the rivers around us. Isn't
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And this is actually a water meadow, flood meadow, so okay, it's very rich. really, and...
1: really interesting. So tell me about yourselves. You, you are Jenny?
2: So my name is Jenny Hermely, and I'm the communications manager
1: for Unlocking the Seven. Oh, OK. Unlocking the Seven, and... Are,
2: Alice. Um, I'm Alice Deans,
3: I'm the volunteering officer for Unlocking the Seven, so I manage right. the volunteers that do the counting
1: on looking down here. Brilliant, okay, so but Unlocking the Seven, just very quickly before we obviously we're going to go and see some of the unlocking in action, mm. but what's just an overview of what that is for the listeners?
2: So, Unlocking the Seven is a conservation and a river engagement project. So, our main focus is a, a rare species of fish called the Trait Shad that have been blocked from their spawning grounds since Victorian times, really. So what our project is putting in place is passage around these weirs, big obstacles in the river for this particular fish that migrate from the sea upriver to spawn. But it's actually promoting better connectivity on the river for all fish species and for the overall health and ecology of the the river system.
1: Cool. I'm a sweet shad. Uh, we, we are we're unlikely to see some today. I know we're going to go to a, a, a sort of fish-watching place. That's the great sound of the countryside, the squeaky gate. <laughs> we're trying to get one in every podcast. <laughs> there's, there's more. Um, so, just, just, could you describe it for me? The, the shad. What the shad,
2: right. So, the shad, they're actually part of the herring family. <laughs> um, but unusually, unlike the rest of the herring, they come onto freshwater to spawn. Um, they're a silvery fish. When you lift them out of the water, they have all lovely iridescent colours of blues and pinks and purples um, and a forked tail. And they're really sort of streamlined in shape so they can swim really far and really fast. But one thing that they can't do is leap over obstacles and barriers. Like, for instance, you might think of a salmon leaping.
1: Yes, OK, so they're not, they don't have that powerful sort of um, not inbuilt design to get over... But, and, and then there, so there are lots of obstacles on the river here, which are a problem.
2: That's right. There's a whole series of weirs all along the river. The weir that we're walking to now is actually not one where we've had to put a fish pass. Um, the, the, the weirs further up get bigger and the head drop over the weir, so the difference in height between the level of the river below, above and below becomes much bigger. So it's much more of a barrier. Um, but all of the weirs have some effect on the fish. It's just that this weir, they can pass over a notch and they're helped by the tidal effects that we still see at this I part see, of the river. So the
1: river, river rises high enough. And I just want to pause, the smell of hawthorn blossom is incredible along here, isn't it? It's, like a, <laughs> like, it's so springy. I think that's something I want to just get across. It's just, this is the first hawthorn flowers I've seen, but the smell is just mm, so heady. I love and this
2: time of year. It's my absolute it's favourite.
1: It's wonderful. So why were weirs, why were there weirs built all over, up and down the river? What was the purpose of...
2: The weirs that that we are putting passage around are navigation weirs. So obviously the River Severn is a huge river. It's the longest river in the country and it's always been a really important conduit for transport and trade. But in the Industrial Revolution, which kicked off further upriver in this part of the world, um, it became even more important and they wanted bigger barges carrying more heavy industrial goods and the manufactured goods back out of the Black Country as well. I see. So it was about um, making this river, this tidal river, um, easier for bigger boats to have reliable passage. When they put in the weirs, there is effectively a wall right across the river so then they will dig a, the Victorian engineers dig a separate channel where they put the locks in and create these man-made islands in the river between the weirs and the the lock channel, mm. um, which is great for the boats, but unfortunately fish don't know how to use locks. No, no, no they're not great at
1: locks, <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> So you said this barrier's been in place and it's stopped the Twait Shad from getting up and down, but do they? how have they survived then? I mean, obviously a population has survived, but...
2: Yeah, it was one of the things at the very start of the project that was um, a little bit unknown, um, because anecdotal evidence we know that there are still some shad around, but what's happened is in the past... Um, the Shad migration would have been really prolific. Hundreds of thousands of these fish coming in a run up the river. All the local people would have known about it and you would have been able to kind of see it and catch the fish. They would have been plentiful. Really, so
1: quite a big food supply for all all these riverside towns.
2: Exactly. And, you know, you get a sense of it in some uh, places in America where they have related Shad species. And you can local towns will celebrate the Shad run and... You know, the shad come through in just these vast numbers, and I think that's probably the best way to kind of get a sense of what it might have been like. But when they cut off access to the spawning grounds, then the effect on the population that were migrating into the river was almost immediate. Oh my goodness. So it was a kind of catastrophic population decline, and what we have now is a very small residual population.
1: But that somehow are... they've managed to keep breeding.
2: Yeah, they've hung on in the lower part of the river spawning in suboptimal habitat. Yeah. Um, I see. so that's what we have today, but we are hoping that we are going to turn around the fortunes for this fish because over time once they have access to better quality spawning habitats and the full run of the river
1: um, well, that's really exciting. So we could come yeah. down in 10, 15, 20 years time. Exactly. I'm a very old man and uh, <laughs> watch the watch the sort of surging is that, fish surging up river. That's and
2: what we're all hoping for and we're all looking forward to. And, and it's good that you said you put that sort of time frame on it because we do have to think about several generations of fish to get this established.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: Shads are repeat spawners um, and they can spawn up to five times. and they stu- in, a, in
1: a single yeah.
2: No, sorry, yeah. over, over about f- oh, five okay. years. Oh, OK, so they get
1: not like salmon, which get one or two goes. Exactly, no, yeah. I see.
2: Um, but one thing we have learned is they do seem to return to the same sites to spawn. So we are relying really on the virgin shad coming into the river who haven't spawned before to go that little bit further I and see. then think this is a good place to spawn. And then the next year, that's where they'll head back to. Whereas the shad that come onto the river, even now we've unlocked it, if they've previously spawned lower down, that will be their tendency okay. to spawn there again.
1: They, they get sort of imprinted on that, uh, that location. Exactly. And we're just going through a lovely buttercup meadow and dandelions and a few butterflies flitting around. but we, I can see the river. It's just here. So, so you're, you're monitoring the populations, aren't you? you're counting them as they come up.
2: Yeah, this is where the work that Alice does with our volunteers is is really important because how do you get a sense of how many fish are coming onto the river? Um, And one of the best ways and the most repeatable ways that that we do it is that we um, take sample observations at this point in the river and then that's data that we put into a model to calculate the, the total run that year at that point in the river and then we can compare that year on
3: year.
1: So how do you take an observation of a fish that swims below the surface? Obviously all fish, most fish anyway, swims beneath the surface in quite a murky river.
3: Yeah, so the, uh, the knots that Jenny mentioned that's put in at this weir, uh, there's sort of two observation boards so across it. So
1: it's a notch, it, yeah? So how, yeah. Well, we'll see that in a minute, but was that something you guys have put in? or is that something that was always part well, of the...
2: The notch has always been part of the weir, actually, right. um, ever since it was so that built. was an enlightened weir? <laughs> yes. I think they probably put it in for salmon, but it's a little bit lost in the midst of time.
1: I see. I see. Sorry, there's Alice,
2: there's yeah. two sort of whiteboards um, that we'll see in a minute that are right
3: across the uh, the width of the notch, and that allows us to see fish as they pass over them right, a bit brilliant. more visibly okay. than them just going over the, okay. the sort of stone surface. Um and yeah, so the volunteers can stand on the bank side uh, and they can literally just watch the fish as they come through and count them.
1: Wow, what a job. So you can just sit, I suppose you've got to pay attention. Yeah, yeah. So so it's we not have like a relaxing sit by the river. No,
3: well, no, some of them say it's really nice and relaxing being down here. Well,
1: I would love it. <laughs> I, would, I would swap in an instant for a few days a week.
3: And I think it Balance. really depends on the number of fish that they're seeing coming through as well. If yeah. they're coming through in a sort of, a steady flow, then obviously that requires more concentration yeah. um, to try and count the right number. And they
2: are a shoaling fish, so Okay. when they're coming through in numbers, yeah, you get a sense that they're probably grouping together, so at the time at the moment we're just seeing a few odd individuals, aren't we Alice, but yeah. when the run re- is really established then they'll be moving in, in a greater bulk.
1: So we're a little bit early for the run, are we this year, we?
2: Yes, so it's a, it's a combination of factors as to when the run starts. The water temperature is key, but there's this interrelationship with the water temperature and the tides. Um, and we've just had a set of high tides, but the river's been a bit too cool for it to really get established. So we think the bulk of the run will probably kick in with the next high tide.
1: So, uh, you now, these shads, the shad, they're not just native to the River Severn. Are, they, are there other British rivers that they, they float? They swim up the wye?
2: Yes, they swim up the wye, the usk... And the Tawie,
1: right, okay. and is that pretty much it?
2: So yeah, they're, channel- they're channeling into the predominantly into the Severn Estuary. Oh,
1: I see. Do um, they go to you know, French rivers as well, or is yeah, it? Yeah.
2: So-, so we're at the top end of the Twait Shads range in Europe.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so yes, they they go into France and Portugal. Um, right. So, so yeah. all
1: the all the Atlantic-facing rivers. have yes. Some sort of population of these migration fish. It's a cormorant going overhead. Just upstream. Um,
2: We're looking downstream um, in the approach to the weir, Um, so we do wish that the fish could (laughs) read the the navigation boards and we'd have less work to do. (laughs) But we've just paused at one of the um, information boards about the the animals and the wildlife on the river here, because I wanted to show you this picture of the... The uh, May oh, I mean, fish, I mean. as it was locally known.
1: Gosh, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's a particularly good photo of the kind of catching the iridescence of that. So, there it is, it is. So
2: um, the things that we look out for when we're, they're crossing the notch are uh, the fork tail um, and this kind of streamlined shape. And you wouldn't normally be able to observe from the riverbank, but we do also have these dots, which are quite distinctive It's very well. pretty
1: fish. It uh, is a pretty yeah. fish.
2: The majority of the run is typically in May, um, and they would be known locally as Mayfish
1: and they'll spawn in as soon as they've found their spawning grounds and then head back out to sea?
2: That's right. They, they spend on average about four weeks in the river. Um, our monitoring studies have been able to show that because in addition to the citizen science counting, we also have one arm of our monitoring, which is about tagging individual shad and then monitoring their movements on the river, and that's been so insightful. Gosh, that
1: must be really interesting. Really? Watching them as they... As they what do you, how do you do it, though?
2: So we actually um, catch uh, shad. This is a good location. They have a big trap that they put into the water um, upstream, just in front of the notch. um, And they tell each other, the scientists tell when the shad is about to come up and then they can shut the trap. And then they take that individual very carefully, um, take some measurements and insert a very small acoustic tag. And then there's a single...
1: Where does that go into the... Into the
2: into the belly of the fish oh, right. with a single suture, um, and then get them back in the water Does as, that as quickly them at as we all can. It sort of well, it was one of the things that we really had to be very careful. So initial studies were just to check that this was a safe procedure to do, but it's it's proved to be absolutely fine.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose also if it if it enables thousands more shad to to be protected and sort of seems to me the balance is exactly worth, worth yeah
2: worth. and we, we you know because we can then monitor their behavior we can see that they go on to have a pretty normal um behavior on the river after they've been tagged so yeah, okay, that's really that's reassuring
1: this is a lovely spot but just the, Shallow the lock is somewhere else is its is that Where,
2: where's...
1: Yeah. Uh okay there's a
2: you can see the end of it just there
1: oh uh, right i've got you Fascinating, so there's a little house, small holding on the island. Would have
2: been a little lockkeeper's cottage. Fabulous,
1: what a place to live. Oh a heron. <laughs> there's a heron at the bottom of the notch here. And a female primstone butterfly. Listen to the sound of the river surging through the notch here. Heron has just decided to perch in the middle of the weir rather handsomely. So we could see anything screw up here, you probably get quite quite good sight of it making a run up. Yeah. The weir itself is, I don't know, like 12 feet, 10 feet so sort of the, the flow and then this notch is four or five feet wide.
2: That's right, yeah. And the the weirs, um, all the weirs that we're working with on the River Severn are actually angled across the river. And it's super helpful for us when we're putting in fish passes. uh, Because at any point at which the fish reach the rear, sorry, reach the weir, they'll tend to keep trying to swim upstream, even when they hit a barrier, so it's going to channel them into the upstream end, Uh, so we know that that's the best place to put in a passage solution, like a fish pass. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if the weirs were straight across the river, it would be more challenging for the fish to actually find the fish pass, because you'd have a dilemma of where exactly do you put it.
4: Is that? Sort of,
1: I mean, why were they built by the originally? Was that just about the flow of the river, or was
2: it? It's a really good question. To be absolutely honest, I'm not. I'm not sure on that. Um, but then weirs but it's aren't always. We have done yeah, it, it's not. Weirs aren't always built. But on, all the ones on the seven are built in this way. So.
1: How many weirs are there then?
2: So there's four big weirs further upstream from here, where we put in new fish passes. And then there's this weir and um, a few others down, there's two in Gloucester that the fish have to get over that are the water high tides over top the weir. So the fish have to wait until the tidal conditions are right at those weirs before they can so go over. So they're
1: not a major problem?
2: They're not a major problem. They do cause a delay. Mm. Uh, but when you consider the, the huge efforts that have to go into create the big enough Mm. fish passes because this is a big river the fish passes are big you will see later yeah Um, it it, it wasn't necessary in those locations in the way that it absolutely is further up river the sort of participatory element when we bring people here we have brought school groups to this site in the past is the sort of cheering that you do for the fish approaching the weir um, because they don't all make it over on the first pass, oh, really? so you get really invested. You want a... to see them, you know, make it all the way. Yeah,
1: it's quite a flow. Yeah, it's really it's quite a. You've got to be got to swim strongly against it. How far inland? How far upriver do these fish go?
2: Well, historical records, we even have records of shad um, recorded as far as, um, almost as Welsh so in the Welsh oh, borders. Really, so it really is like an, a very epic migration that these fish would have taken historically. Um, they can travel long distances to spawn, but the, the, the really good habitat comes in, um, you know, in the Shropshire part of the river, so well, that's where we're focused morning. on, on in, getting the, the fish. So that's towards. quite
1: a long way. Yes. Another sort of 50 60 miles. So
2: exactly, yeah.
1: How, so, how, so, yes, that's how many weirs do you have to tackle them between here and.
2: So, they have a choice of two channels to get around Gloucester, and each one of them has a weir, and then they have this upper load weir just by Chutesbury. And then the next weir that they get to is the Diglas Weir um, in Worcester. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that's been the, the main barrier for, for nearly 180 years now. So we've now. got
1: a real, the one key suspect in the whole problem. Right?
2: And then it would be no good just unlocking that one because after the Diglas Weir, there's three further weirs on the way to Stourport. So all of those we put fish, fish passes next to as well.
1: Right, OK. Gosh, it's a big project.
2: Um, it does impact on the fishing. So that's been one of the more contentious um, areas. I mean, the long term, it's going to it's for the health of all the fish on the river and better fish populations. But in the short term, it does affect where the fish sit. Where previously they've been stuck, in, you know, in front of barriers, they can now pass through much more easily. So, you know, I, I think obviously it's been important that we. Share information and, yeah. and talk to people, but yeah, we have had you different there feedback. Can
1: be more fish for you in a few years' time. Exactly. That seems like a good, <laughs> yeah. A good, uh, and if
2: if you you know if you want to come and spend time fishing by the river, then you know most people the the ecology and the wildlife is part of that experience. Yeah, so, because sure one of the questions we do often get about the fish passes is about predation, and that tends to come from anglers. Oh, uh, really? I think that. Yeah, they're concerned.
1: Predators will hang out by the fish pass.
2: Yeah, but the the thing that it doesn't really account for is that, as you can see with this heron, there's no fish pass in this location. The barriers themselves create a good place for predators to, because they've got sitting targets in fish trapped on the downstream side of the barrier.
1: Yeah, and any sort of rapids on the river are where the herds. It's almost a universal story of support and and, and goodwill, really.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we really are thankful and the volunteers have played a huge role in the project. It, it is a, it's a massive project and the um, scale of it and the ambition of it, so we do rely on people giving their time freely to contribute to the citizen science and, and more recently we have a, volunteers involved in showing people the fish pass in Worcester. So yeah, there's lots of different ways that people have actively contributed.
1: What is the cost of the overall project? Is it something ongoing ongoing for?
2: It's a headline figure. <laughs> it's it's, it's a 20 million pound project. Okay. So our main funders are the National Lottery Heritage Fund and the EU LIFE programme. And um, we've also had other uh, supporters, the Waterloo Foundation, and the partners have also supported in a in a smaller way and obviously hugely with organisational resources.
1: There's some EU money has gone to this as well. Yes, that's has that right. Has been affected by changes to our relationship with EU? Well,
2: we, it, you know, it was all very uncertain and um, when Brexit was being discussed. Um, there was an undertaking that if we had a smooth exit, that the funding would stream would carry on for the length of the project, and that luckily is what's happened. But it's, it's very sad for everyone involved. We have colleagues across Europe involved in similar projects and other habitat projects, and we felt part of a massive network, and that obviously has now come to an end being part of the EU life, habitats, programs, going forward, so that is that is
1: Great. a sadness. Just a little scratchy song with a white throat. An orange tip, is sort of perfect Mayflower. All these things coming together. A blackbird. Just that little scratchy. Just arrived. Lovely to get. First one for me this well. First day of them for me this year. For
2: me, it's um, it's really important that people Relearn the mayfish as much as you know. We have the may blossom of the hawthorn yeah. and the mayflies. I want to get people thinking about the mayfish, mayfish as well. Mayfish,
1: that's a really nice idea. Well, yeah, I'm very excited. I can't uh, I sort of want to accelerate time, although I don't want to get any older. But it really, it's really exciting that there's almost nothing stopping them rebuilding their numbers to sort of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, with a bit of luck. So well, sp- spawning is the key issue. Then, was there some? You said there's some interesting tales of spawning. That...
3: And like stonyfish, they're quite particular in the conditions that they want for spawning. Um, ideally, over gravel beds where they can find. Right. Okay. Um, so, the historic spawning grounds would have been up in Welshpool area. Um so they up high up. The river yeah, Seven. For high. Those up.
1: who don't know that that's deep. Well, it's got Welsh borders, isn't it? Welshpool. Yeah, it's not yeah. far from the Welsh border.
2: I think there would have been lots of good sites. Through the upper All reaches, right, yeah, right. up up towards that. That's that's the kind of maximal extent of where we have ref.
1: Um And they spawn at night.
2: Yeah. So alongside the monitoring we're doing down here in Chicksbury to,
3: to count them as they come over up Pallade, we're going to be doing some nighttime spawning monitoring just <laughs> right. north of Worcester. Um, Gosh, can so I I come? <laughs> <laughs> they come? Well, they we're going to be doing it between eleven and two, so right. eleven at night, really, or two in the morning. Hours, yeah. Yeah. But,
2: um, um, so if you're game, then do
3: come yeah. along. <laughs> well.
1: Um, I feel I feel sort of bound to do it <laughs> just looking across this meadow this ham it's called a ham is that right yes that's is that, right is that very much a seven thing or is it like there a, are a, other like hams
2: much? aren't there I assume it means water meadow yeah. but
1: looking towards Tewksbury Abbey which is very grand very nice town Tewksbury actually just had a quick little walk through but so this is a very lovely scene to be to be sort of taking in on a on a Tuesday <laughs> <laughs> I should be at my computer um so, so you're monitoring at night, yep. in the small hours? Yep, so mm-hmm. the reason we can
3: do that nighttime monitoring is because when shad oh. spawn, uh, the females release their eggs in the upper water column yep. and the males circulate them, and as they do, they do that they create this distinctive splashing sound. So it's the splashing sound that we're listening for when we go out at night. I'll
1: tell you what, can I send you a recorder and you yep. record me the splashing sound? Absolutely. Great. <laughs> That will save me. <laughs> <laughs> Much as I'd love to.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, uh, completely. But, you know, yeah, the, yeah the, two, the male and the female swim around each other in a tight circle, like this, like sort of a dog chasing its tail. Right. And it creates this splashing, splashing noise. Oh,
1: wonderful. To end up in the river here. So we're going across these narrow lock bridges. And we've been joined by Corin. Yes, Corinne. Corinne. He also works for the Unlocking the Seven project. Thank you. And how yes. long have you been working on
2: it? So I've been working on the project since June. OK. Um, it's gone very quickly, I must admit, but it's been so much fun. Before we go in, do you want me to tell you where we are and what this Yes, this is? would be so great to
1: know. Um, obviously, we've driven up from Cheeksbury to Worcester, but, and now we're, in the sort of, we're back on the set.
2: Yeah, we're just on the outskirts of the city of Worcester, um, in quite an industrial location. We have a kind of industrial park on one side of the river um, and then I'm going to take you around and give you a glimpse of the other side of the river. But we've stepped across the lock gates now and we're on the man-made island in the middle of the Severn. And we're looking at this Victorian workshop building which has been restored as part of our project. So this would originally have been used to manufacture the huge lock gates um, and some other elements used in the network.
1: And it's all on an island, I love this. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and people, local people have been really excited when we've been able, as part of the project, to bring them onto this island because a lot of people walk past this path. And it's always had this slightly secretive area, this island, sort of, yeah. in the river. We've so. got
1: picnic tables here. So. People, I mean, there were no entry signs, but people can come on here on, on rare occasions.
2: What they can do is they can book a visit, so oh, they really? book a tour that starts here, they get to see this island in the workshop, and then we walk around um, and over the footbridge and take them to the fish pass on the other side. So again, it's that transition of uh, noise we're going to experience again, nice and quiet on this side, and then we'll hear the water rushing over the weir on the other side.
1: And are there, so unlocking the seven, I saw the Canal River Trust people there. Are there, are there several organisations involved?
2: Or? Yes, it's it's a complex project, and we have four partners involved. So Canal River Trust, Seven Rivers Trust, the Environment Agency, and Natural England. Um, and this asset is a Canal River Trust asset, and Canal River Trust has taken the lead in actually building these fish passes. Right. So you
1: can hear the roar of the river here. I mean, this, is, this is the weir, this is Diglis weir.
2: That's Diglis weir, yeah. It's about two metres from the top of the crest to the toe. You can see it's Obviously, a bigger yes, weir than yes, yes, at And you can see the, the head drop, so the difference in river level. The river's actually really low today. You don't normally see that much of the skirt exposed of the, at the bottom of the weir. It's really substantial, so that barrier to fish so is the significant. whole
1: width of the river here apart from the lot to the other side it's, it's completely um, and
2: what you in the in the autumn time when before we built the fish pass and you'd see the salmon trying to pass here um it's quite heartbreaking really because you'd See them. It's such a long run, and you'd see them attempt it and get halfway up and fall down and do it again and again and again. source themselves. Each yeah. time, using up energy, sustaining injuries. You know, even for fish that can clear these barriers, it's really bad news. They shouldn't be having to extend this amount of effort this far down the river to get over obstacles.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, because they've already swum quite a long way to get there. Yeah. So do they eat them? Do they like most fish? They'll eat anything that they can get their mouths yeah. around.
2: They they eat yeah they um eat other small fish mm. but they're not feeding on the river system when they're in the river so
1: they're literally not they're not using up any resources exactly they're just, they're they're just
2: bringing resources into the yeah. river and all these migratory fish are it, you know it's part of the ecosystem we don't often think about we know the rivers take the water from the you know from far inland and carry nutrients out to the sea But these migrating fish, as an exchange of nutrients, they're bringing nitrogen from the sea back up into the the terrestrial system, so.
1: Now that structure on the other side, that's the fish pass. That's the fish fish pass. pass. Okay, so it looks. So it's
2: 100 meters long. It's a really big structure. And you can see here at the bottom of the weir is 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 the outflow, actually, from the fish pass. And right at the top where that box is, is where the fish are swimming out, and that's where we can go down into our viewing gallery.
1: That's amazing. I mean, it is a massive piece of engineering. Here's a bit of a song of the weir. So now we're approaching the weir from the other side, and we can see up the fish part. Oh, okay. It's got an interesting structure inside. It's like a gateway
2: yes we, sort of
1: opening pillars and then...
2: you can see the uh, C sections in the middle of the pass yeah. so what the pass is is it's a basically a series of 10 steps or pools mm. each one 20 centimeters higher than the last one um, and those structures are what kind of breaks up the flow so that we can put in a stairway that breaks the one big jump from the bottom of the weir to the top into a manageable set of steps for the fish. It's almost
1: like pinball. You could (laughs) see fire. I mean, it looks a little bit like that. It does look a bit like that, that yeah. We we
2: work really hard to try and make sure that the water isn't too turbulent for the fish. That's one of the key aspects.
1: It's it's cups to hold the fish and then passages either side so they can reach those cups and then beyond. And then we're at the top. And
2: down the sides, there's two channels on either side of the structure that the fish move through. And that's really important as well. They're the augmentation channels. And they're carrying extra water through the pass because in order for the fish to find the fish pass, there needs to be a strong outflow of water. Ah, But the more water we push through it, the more faster and turbulent it goes. So if we push it down the edge of the pass away from the fish and then mix it down in at the bottom, it helps the fish find the pass. Whilst
1: and they go. This is the strongest bit. This is where I'm going to have exactly. the most chance of getting up.
2: Yeah, they're they're following so the flow done the of the river. research into
1: how fish think and approach. We uh, need to think like a fish. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great.
2: So these are the pools.
1: Yeah, it's a very good diagram here of um, how they. It's Eleven ascending pools.
2: And that the, this one is the top one. So here we are,
1: we're
2: in the top of the viewing gallery and we've got a flight of stairs to come down.
1: We're going into the river, sort of. Yes, into the, into beneath the, the surface. This is very exciting. So we'll swim right past here.
2: Yeah. So you can wow, see the so in the two windows. We've got an LED lighting panel behind mm. this, which helps us record the film footage can be quite a murky river, the seven, so yeah, it really yeah,
1: helps sure. us. And then this one just looks out into the... this a yeah, It can
2: be quite a good spotting window to see them before Something, they come something's through.
1: coming. OK. So we could just sit and wait.
2: Yeah. You could quite easily spend hours in there just watching Yeah,
1: just waiting. Window. Yeah. It's hard to believe anything's going to swim by at the moment, <laughs> but uh, it's about two metres. That's a yeah, bit more about than two point five meters. Yeah, there's a little bit of debris going downstream, so people can book a session here. Is that right? Come
2: on. That's right. Yes. We um, during when we started, um, it was a tour that they book of the island and then coming to see the fish pass because there weren't that many fish moving at that point. Mm-hmm. And during May, we're focusing the tours on the fish pass itself and then from June we're going to have the kind of combined tour again as uh, some of the main spawning migrations will have slowed down a little bit later in the summer because all of these fish are are making spawning movements on the river just not as fast as our shad Um,
1: yeah and probably just smaller distances just heading up from feeding grounds to spawning grounds.
2: exactly and they're they're, i guess they're trying it out in ways that they haven't previously had easy access to um, but we do also have some some other key endangered migratory fish species that are using the pass. So we're really excited about the river lamprey and the sea lamprey using the, using the pass because yeah. um, they also are very endangered. And Is
1: there something ca- oh yes, it's two little fish. Now, the other fish I've
2: no. What are these? They look like leek or dace to me. Little silver fish. Oh, they sort of Yeah, just shot and
1: gone. Bleak, yeah. Shot back. Past the window. Oh, okay. So we've seen some, yes. well, seen some fish. You've seen lots of fish. <laughs> a little teaser of fish coming yeah. across the window. They thought about it, isn't that me? <laughs>
2: That the ones are having a, a think before they come through, but it's very reassuring that we're seeing such a wide range of fishes in the past, including some really small fish.
1: So it's showing that it, they can get up through that, that exactly. current. There. Oh, gosh, I would be really, yeah, as someone who loves fish but never sees them from the side, apart from in my fish tank, this is like having a sort of brilliant fish tank. To, but you never know what's going to turn up. And
2: it's totally wild as well. Yeah,
1: that's, uh, yeah I'm a bit bored of my cold <laughs> so. Oh, they're
2: just in the far window now. Oh, you can
1: yeah, see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, about 15 fish yeah, yeah, yeah. poking their little nose and snouts up. I have to swim quite hard against the current. Here they go. got <laughs> shy again.
2: I, I know
3: you're recording <laughs> and I know.
1: They got halfway
2: and they. I thought they'd hang out in the fish pass for a little bit longer. We did have a barbel that was living in that corner for mm-hmm. a few weeks. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, in, children. In window. the autumn. Yeah, he was just chilling at the bottom of the window. The school yeah. kids just, just doing them, yeah, were fascinated. Yeah. It's a nice environment, it's
1: very calm and quite mm-hmm. sort of blue yeah, light, light, isn't the lighting it? the lighting's lovely in here as well, you've got the sort of watery-reflective uh, lights which make it quite... Similar. It's very so tranquil. There they come again. It's a cheesy yeah. this maybe. There's a pioneer mm-hmm. who's really pushing forward this time, and then the rest of them. are Oh, it's, it's, it's painful to watch. Oh, you can get it. he's mm-hmm. gone. Two gone, three, four. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, just have to decide. 11, they 12, 17, and one didn't make it, one snuck back. Was that the perch. Is a that a perch? Yeah, yeah, I think that is a perch. It was quite big. Mm. I'm trying. Oh, yeah, oh, a I little There was something with a much bigger f- tail fit.
2: Oh, I missed
3: that
1: one. Yeah, it just disappeared back into the murk. Like a big sweeping tail fin, but it might be. Just my, my, my hopeful imagination.
2: <laughs> well, we see it past the big window. I've
1: got to tell you what that. big tail fin was maybe I'm just sort of. Oh, here he comes. Quite, going quite low. Yeah. With his red fins and stripes. Wonderful. So it hasn't taken long for us to see. Few fish, it's quite, uh, quite reliable. Then
2: I think the element of uh, luck about it makes it all the more exciting when you do, do see them coming through. Yeah,
1: that, that's definitely part of it, isn't it? The, the fact that you might not see anything. It's like yeah, any sort of wildlife watching, it mostly ends in disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Have
2: you seen any Salmon lately? It's not on the board
1: No, the not for the last week or two. Um,
5: <laughs> <laughs> no pike either. 14.7 degrees the water is that um, too warm uh, um i think from what charles was saying the fish different fish migrate migrated different temperatures so i think we've kind of um, maybe the things like the roach have kind of gone through at the moment mm. the larger numbers that they were
2: yeah the pike and the days are the first
1: two yeah. so that yeah they've probably started to move on mark you you're part of this project yes
5: yes i'm um on the unlocking the seven project um through clown river trust as the informal learning interpretation officer the visitor experience person inviting people onto the
1: island and doing the tours yeah so we are sort of saying what a wonderful job that is that you get to hang out on an island in the river seven and show people fish and wildlife a whole load of oh i haven't seen that before that roach going Coming in the opposite direction. That
2: is the first time I've ever seen that. Those all roach. Is so
1: they look like roach with their red yeah. fins. Yeah. I was, yeah. I never go. But
2: maybe that's because the water level's so low. It's less easy for them to overcrest the weir at the moment.
1: So they're coming through this way. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was a big shoal of roach. Just sort backwards down, down the stream. they just moving up and down for whatever reasons. Who knows what roach think? um, (laughs) so you spend your summers on the island Um, island? and the winter's wrapped up warm
5: do you live there? (laughs) it feels like it's some days and some weeks uh, with all the tours that we do but it's great getting so many people um, seeing the project and coming down to the fish pass so it's really enjoyable and what's the most
1: extraordinary thing you've seen come through here? it doesn't Um, have to be a fish
5: I think it probably is the uh, Simon just because they're so majestic and amazing and so big. Um, had a few random things like tennis balls and carrier bags, which in October and November, when that's the only thing going through, you have to get a lot of excitement <laughs> the group saying, oh, look, you've just seen the tennis ball. That's the first this this yeah, yeah, year yeah. kind of thing. Um, it's the season. For, uh,
1: absolutely. Probably June is the season.
2: We do have some wonderful footage from the cameras of um, the... Butter in the past as well. Oh really, not that comes through. It yeah. comes through this window as well. Yeah, it does the acrobatics with the camera. Um, Fantastic.
1: That's
2: way. pretty exciting. Oh we have some more little fish coming more. in there gathering on that side. There we go. They see one do it and then they
1: think yeah.
2: oh we'll give it a go. Yeah.
5: People on the tours really do kind of have this feeling with the fish when they see how much effort particularly the smaller ones have to put in and they're really rooting for them to kind of get past. They can't, there's a part of them wanting them to stay in the window so they can admire them and enjoy them, but there's a part of them that is like, come on, you need to make it get through and yes. really struggle, particularly when they kind of get washed back slightly and then have to put that effort in again They are really forward. little fish. Yes, that's it and when we did the open days last week and we had a lot more children in, the children were kind of cheering when they got through. Real that's, kind awesome. deal. that's
1: really sweet. Yeah.
2: The Shad, when they come through the window, tend not to hang about. They're on a mission. Yeah. They come through pretty quick. Got something
1: on their minds. Yeah. Yeah. Their yeah.
2: The salmon are funny when they, they come through the window. They come through, tends to be more slowly, and um, because they're sort of forcing the water over there, they're doing this, they're making, moving their mouth parts, which they, and they look so grumpy as well. So oh, wow. it's like they're sort of mouthing un, unspeakables at you as they come past. It's really good. And, and
5: so You've just got to hang on. The only consolation for the people on the tours, I say, is that they're a good company because Princess Sam, when she opened the project, yeah. was down here for twenty minutes. She didn't see any Nothing. fish at all. She had to back to the window when one went past, so she missed that. <laughs> And then a second one swam past just as she was on the top step, oh leaving. So hopefully that doesn't make me feel quite so bad.
2: <laughs> the tours are offered completely free, um, thanks to the you know the funding from the National Lottery, National Lottery Heritage Fund and also the support of our volunteers, because it's volunteer tour guides that are giving these tours. Right, gosh,
1: yeah. fish fish lovers and. Fish.
5: Fish they, lopers and heritage graphs. Yeah, Quite a mix, but you know they just get so involved in the project and everything, that they're you know, um, just buzzing with it and wanting to learn more, and they go off and do their own little bit of research and then share it with the rest of the group on the WhatsApp group, and it's really lovely to see their enthusiasm of it.
2: They're able to share lots of the human stories with the river as well, which is an important part of the mix.
1: Another gang summing up the courage to through. Smaller, these ones. Yeah, Brilliant, thank you so much. You really cool. interesting and beautiful. This poor bleak just gave up they, for yeah, now. I think all. so. I'll be back later. Yeah, thank you. Jenny, thank you for sharing all your insights uh, on the day out on the river and why the story of hope for the shad. May it be a really good shad season. I'm definitely going to try and come back and I like, can record a, a live shad on the podcast, I think that would be. And
2: come true. <laughs> Please do.
4: We'd love to see you. Right, nice. Thank you. EBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: With milder weather and longer days on the way, now is the time to dust off your hiking boots and enjoy the great British countryside. And wherever you go, whatever the terrain, Regatta Great Outdoors has the right footwear for any adventure. From grassy hills to rocky trails and even paved footpaths, there's a regatta shoe to suit your walking preferences. Discover lightweight trainers for day-to-day wear or walking shoes for multi-day hikes like the brand new Samaris 3. Combining comfort with performance, the Samaris 3 is available as a shoe and boot for both men and women and is ideal for all your hiking pursuits. Tech foam in-sock technology supports your foot, while an EVA midsole and shock-absorbing heel protects you from bumps along the way. Plus, it's waterproof and breathable, so your feet stay dry no matter the weather. Available to shop in stores nationwide and at regatta.com. And I could have stayed
1: watching those fish in the fish pass for... Well, forever. It was wonderful. What a wonderful experience. It was so brilliant to see such a positive conservation project mm-hmm. working. And I wish them all the best of luck. And hopefully we'll go back there and watch the fish passing in, watch those tweed shad passing in the hundreds of thousands in a few years' time. But somewhere else I don't really want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a, uh, I'm, in pub, I'm in a pub with Jack. And this is where we're going to do our podcast chat today, Jack. We are. We're on the road. We're on the road. We are in a country pub on the the Gwent levels. And we are here because we've been out experimenting with microphones and sounds. We have indeed. It's been great having Jack along to, well, just to, just, because normally I'm out recording on my own. So it's been great having a professional along and just experimenting. Um... So, Jack, how have you found it? It's
4: been, it's been a lovely day. We've, we've, I think we've seen everything. We've seen woodland, we've gone through brambles, we've seen a, a somewhat empty reservoir, we've seen the, the flatlands, and uh, we're back in our nice lovely pub.
1: We are, we've we've travelled a long way to find this pub. It's a Friday, and we could not find an open pub for miles. So we, we've, we, we've decided, we got hungry, after recording lots of lovely birdsong. We've been in Wentwood, which is Wales's largest ancient woodland. 1,000 hectares, and we've only sort of dabbled around for a few hours, but it was great fun sort of exploring. But then we got hungry and had to leave uh, because we were led by our stomach's book. could don't find anywhere. <laughs> no. So we've ended up on Gwent Nevels in a lovely park called The Rose, where they've just served jackpot. Well, you can describe.
4: Oh, the, oh my goodness me. Uh, it uh, it was a large Yorkshire pudding with sausage mash and peas and gravy all over it. For my goodness, it was it was large. They weren't they weren't joking and I'm very warm. <laughs> Jack is sort of
1: red cheeked uh, and, and it's not the beer. But uh, it uh, yes, a very 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 fine pub lunch. And perhaps if we ought to do a podcast on what is the best possible pub lunch. Please do send us your <laughs> recommendations. I had a lovely lamb stew being in Wales, which, a uh, cowl, C-A-W-L, um, which was delicious and so needed. And once you've been traveling, because we, 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 we set off into the brambles at my instigation because there was an alarm call yeah. from a bird. And that normally means us something very exciting to see. Uh, but it meant that we, <laughs> we spent a lot of time <laughs> in like Indiana Jones.
4: We became deers. we, yeah, we
1: were. <laughs> we were following these tracks and trails mm-hmm. through the undergrowth, scratched <laughs> by Bramble and Briar and all sorts. And in the end, it was a woodpecker called a, shout a of Jay, which is still cool. It's still cool. Um, but uh, we're very welcome. I, I think we should do more podcasts mm. in pubs.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's, I think we've a treat. <laughs> It's worked out nice uh, I've gone from being a little bit chilly To having to take most of my clothes off Because now I'm I'm comfortably warm
1: I, I, I can say for the benefit of this Jack isn't totally naked
4: No, 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 no. <laughs>
1: far, far less clad than he was when he came in from the, It's the middle of May And very cold days. So we've actually captured the sounds of wind In different trees Which mm. is quite an amazing...
4: There was a few bits which it was really an odd sensation because we we couldn't feel the wind on us. We were quite sheltered, but the wind running through the different trees made it feel like it should be really windy. Yeah, and I, I, it's bizarre, but really quite incredible
1: yeah quite nice to, yeah that's one of the things we, often we find one of the bi- our biggest enemy is wind and uh, they say that in a natural mm. way not so uh, <laughs> <laughs> post, post pub lunch but um, it is it makes it very difficult to record outside and Britain Wales where we, where we, where we are out recording a lot can be very windy so we are quite always trying to work out how to record so very grateful Jackson <laughs> this is, uh, technical skills are better than mine. So that's what we've been up to today. Just out exploring recording sound escapes, which um, Hannah, who isn't here with us today, she presents and helps produce those. Lots more lovely, mindful and in the countryside to come. And as you can hear, this is a food working place.
4: <laughs> 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 that wasn't wind. <laughs> it's a squeaky door.
1: It's, it's the perfect pub you want to mm. stumble across after a hard day's recording or walking or anything. And, um, so, yes, highly. We, we'd like to say a big thank you to the Rose mm. in Redwick for hosting us. Great food. Great Lovely food. staff. And the beer is still doing its job, so... And, well, look, thank you very much for listening. Do go and visit the Diglis Fish Pass uh, with the Unlocking the Seven. The, the work of Unlocking the Seven. It's in Worcester. So it just remains for me to say a huge thank you to Jenny Hermione for inviting me up and telling me all about the Unlocking the Seven project. I totally recommend going down to have a look at the Fish Pass and the fish viewing window. And you can find times at the Unlocking the Seven website. So have a look there and we will put more details in the description of this podcast. Also, I'd like to say a big thank you to Jack for having me along today. Jack, cheers. Pleasure. Cheers. Great fun. Join us again next week. We'll be out in the countryside enjoying another wild adventure. But for now, goodbye.
0: Whether it's gloriously sunny or a spring downpour, you can always get outdoors with regatta. So what are you waiting for? Find a route, grab your walking shoes and start exploring. Regatta Great Outdoors offers all types of performance footwear, from technical hiking boots for regular ramblers to durable walking shoes for the whole family. With waterproof and breathable qualities, shock-absorbing comfort and superior grip, regatta footwear is designed to withstand whatever challenges Mother Nature throws your way. Discover the range in stores nationwide and at regatta.com.